Do you need a landscaping job tackled? Keen Landscaping is a family-owned and operated full-service landscaping company based in Dallas, Texas. Anything from property restoration and tree pruning or removal to landscape design, construction, and installation, Keen covers it all. They're also the official landscape company of the Dallas Stars. Learn more at KeenLandscaping.com. Again, that's K-E-A-N-E Landscaping.com. Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keene, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now here's your host, Parker Keene. Now we're ready. Billy, what's up? We're back in action. Dude, welcome. New background, new location. It's, it's a whole new world out here for Parker's MMA show. You look like you're in a prison. Where are you at? Uh, Cape Cod at my in-laws, so, you know, not wow. far. Wow, very nice. All right, well, we're back in action this week, episode 47. We got a couple fight cards we missed. We're going to catch up on. We're going to preview this week's um, card, and then we're going to get into some Nick and Nate Diaz talk. So, Billy, let's dive right in. Episode 47, here we go. Everyone, like, subscribe, share, do all that good stuff. All right, let's do it. So let's start off in the light heavyweight division. Um, we had Anthony Smith taking on Alexander Rakic. Um, Billy, what did you think of that fight? Man, Alexander Rakic, I mean, talk about brutal leg kicks, right? I mean, this guy came in and right from the first round, he kicked Anthony Smith's legs out. And Anthony Smith is about as tough as they come and has great Muay Thai, so... I was really impressed with Rakic. I, I thought he should have finished this fight, to be honest. Um, that would be my one criticism. But, I mean, the leg kicks, man, those were friggin' brutal. What did you think? Yeah, same. It was just, unfortunately, it's kind of two back-to-back beatings for Lionheart Smith. And, you know, it's hard to watch from a guy that you and I think, you know, really highly of. And he's a, he's a great fighter, as tough as it come. But, um, yeah, not a good look. I mean, it was kind of more of the same from... The Glover fight, he was just looked like he was kind of stuck in mud, couldn't get going, and was just kind of getting beat down. So, um, yeah, tough loss for Anthony Smith. Um, where do you think that leaves him right now? I hate to say it, man. I'm a huge Anthony Smith fan. I love the story. I love this whole, like, you know, guy who was kind of 500 on the regionals, right. you know, was kind of middling at middleweight and then moves up to light heavyweight, makes the title run, could have taken the title win against John Jones. A lot of people forget about that, that, you know, he got a legally need and he could have walked away the champion that night and, you know, kind of toughed it out and didn't take it. You know, guy who beat Gustafson, he beat Vulcan Ozdemir, but he's looked terrible his past two fights, man. He's looked really, really bad. And I just wonder for a guy who's has 50 pro MMA fights, like, is it about time for Anthony Smith? Like, is this the end for him? I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm torn. I mean, I think he's a guy that's got a lot of fight left in him, but I feel very similar about Anthony Smith as I do Tyron Woodley right now. It's just like the last two fights for both of those guys, it just seems like whatever they had, you know, on their rise to greatness, obviously, Anthony Smith didn't quite get to get a title, but um, they just don't have it. It's like they're, I don't know, 
they're they're just like stuck and they just can't let it, let their hands go and let it go. But um, I don't know. I, I think for Anthony Smith, if he wants to keep fighting, it's time to make some serious changes. Um, I floated the idea about him going back to, down to middleweight. I don't know if he's willing or even that's even crossed his mind. But I just think there's a lot of fresh, you know, really really fun stylistic matchups down there for him. Um, I think light heavyweight is just getting too ruthless with all these just killers rising up through the ranks right now, especially with John Jones gone, you know, the new guard is starting to rise up, but um, I don't know. I, you know, I I think he's got some hard decisions to make, but if he did decide to make that move down to middleweight, I mean, him versus Yoel Romero, Darren Costa, Darren Till, Costa, if Costa doesn't beat Israel, Rob Whitaker, every one of those fights is a headline fight. Um, awesome stylistic fight. So I don't know for him, maybe a change of pace, you know, similar to when he came up to light heavyweight, he went on that run, maybe a move back down to middleweight would give him some new life. Um, what about for Rakic? Where do you think he goes from here? I mean, this guy now, I mean, Alexander Rakic is undeniably kind of, you know, in that five to six range, uh, you know, at light heavyweight, I think he's probably one to two fights away from the title. I, I, I was really impressed by him. I thought he looked pretty lackluster in his fight against Volkan Ozdemir, and he looked great against Anthony Smith. I mean, he really took it to Anthony Smith. I I didn't think Anthony Smith won a single round. I didn't think he was in that fight from the first minute. That's a guy who was a title challenger, who's beaten some of the best light heavyweights of all time. I mean, that's really, really impressive to do what Alexander Rakic did, so... I think he's a top five light heavyweight right now, and I don't really think it's arguable. I agree. I, I think everyone's pretty much matched up, so I think you and I agree that that um, your guy, Yuri Prohaskin. Prohaska? Is it Prohaska? Yuri, Yuri Prohaska, yes. There you go. Uh, it looks like those guys are kind of on a crash course right now, and I think that's a great matchup in that you know five to six range at light heavyweight right now um so i'm down for that next i think stylistically that's a super fun fight um that's fight of the night man that's fight of the night right there those guys are going to go after each other there's good there's going to be standing and banging yuri prohaska is going to do all kinds of weird kung fu stuff like I, i i would be really excited to watch that fight i know it's kind of two guys without names but stylistically that's as fun as it gets and it's two big boys too yeah and that's something i think you put on a big one of these big cards coming up to showcase these guys because both of these guys in my opinion are probably one to two fights away from getting a title shot you know so um i I think they're probably at what five and six right now something like that but um, i think they are at five and six yeah so i I think that's kind of a no-brainer matchup next um all right, let's move on to one more fight on that card. Uh, you had Alonzo Minifield taking on Ovin St. Pru. Um, OSP is now 3-3 three and three in his last six. Where do you see him, you know, stacking up in this light heavyweight division right now? You know, it's interesting. He's a guy who I had kind of written off. I thought he looked really bad against Rothwell um, at heavyweight. But, you know, he's a guy who's fought the elite of that division and I think he showed he's still in that mix in that top 15, kind of the 10 to 15 range at light heavyweight. I mean, he he really fought his fight against Manyfield. He slowed it down. He picked his spots. You know, he got a, he got a KO kind of late in that second round. I thought he looked as good against Alonzo Manyfield as he's looked in years. What do you think? 
I agree. It's just, again, it's hard. I mean, he's 37 years old. We're talking about Anthony Lionheart Smith being old. He's 32 years old. OSP's 37 in that division. It's just, it's tough right now. And I, I just don't see a path for him to break into that top five, you know, looking at the rankings right now. So, um, you know, I think he's a guy who's physically still looks great. I think he hangs around for a couple more years, maybe bounces back and forth from light heavyweight to heavyweight. But yeah, good performance and another good win for him. Um, for Minningfield, he's he's now got two straight losses. Um, what do you think kind of about the hype train of Minningfield as a prospect in the UFC? Yeah, I mean, he was one of these young, you know, you know, light heavyweights. He looks great getting off the bus, right? I mean, he's absolutely shredded. And he was knocking everybody out. And now he's got two straight losses. And, you know, it's kind of looking like that hype train is derailed a bit. Uh, looking like he maybe wasn't necessarily the prospect or the future champion that some people thought that he was. But he's still young. He's definitely young in the sport. And I think he, he can go back to the drawing board a little bit, figure out how to work in his wrestling, maybe work some ground and pound in future fights and kind of get back to it. But... Um, you know, kind of a disappointing two losses, in my opinion, for a guy who looked like he was headed to the top of that division. And now it looks like he's going to struggle to stay in the top 15, to be honest. Yeah. So for OSP, who would you like to see him match up with next? I love OSP versus Johnny Walker. I think that's that's a great great fight. fight. Yeah. I think that's, that's a perfect matchup. The other one I like not as much is it's been booked before, but OSP against Ryan Spann. But I think with John Jones leaving heavy or light heavyweight, there's really a reset on this division. So OSP puts a couple wins here together. He's one of the bigger names in the division. I, I, I don't see any reason why, you know, two or three wins, OSP is right back in that title conversation, which was unfathomable to think before this fight. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like that. I like uh, Johnny Walker's a great matchup. I also like uh, someone like... Lionheart Smith, you know, I, I think that's another fun fight. Great stylistic matchup for him. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's transition here a little bit. Let's go to Bellator. We had our guy Nimkov knocking out Ryan Bader. I don't think any of us saw that coming. So, how how surprised were you at that result? I was shocked, man, because it wasn't just that he knocked him out. Like Bader was not competitive in this fight, right? Like. I think Bader landed less than 10 strikes the entire fight. He was not able to get any takedowns. And Nemkov just bullied him around the cage and beat him up. Like, I mean, that's really impressive. We haven't seen anyone do that to Ryan Bader since John Jones. Right. Um, no, I totally agree. I, I was honest. I didn't watch the fight live, but when I got the notification, I was shocked. I was like, holy shit, I, I can't believe that happened. That's, that's crazy. Um, what did you make of the stoppage? Really bad, right? I mean, I think we both talked about this after the fact. Like, Ryan Bader, I mean, what a warrior. He keeps fighting. He's trying to stay in it. But, I mean, this guy is just taking abuse, and it's very clear he's not intelligently defending himself. I understand it's a world title fight. I understand it's a veteran fighter in Ryan Bader. But you got to stop that fight earlier and kind of save him from himself because he was not in that fight probably 20 to 30 seconds that they let him stay in. Yeah, he's... Yeah, I think he took probably 10 to 15 shots that were totally unnecessary that could have been avoided. That, But Nimkov, I mean, man, the finishing ability of that guy, once he got Ryan Bader hurt, 
that was impressive to see him put him away like that. But um, okay, so what do you make of the claim that Nimkov is the best light heavyweight on the on the planet? So if you take John Jones out of the equation, right? Who we we both agree greatest fighter of all time, greatest light heavyweight of all time, greatest current light heavyweight if he chooses to cut to two hundred and five pounds, like. If you take him out of the equa- the equation, I think Nemkov is definitely in the conversation. His only two losses are in the Ryzen ring. One of them is to Yuri Prohaska. The other is to Carl Albrechtson in a split decision that's really questionable if you go back and watch it. Um, he's young. He's with Team Fedor, so you know he has great coaches. And he's improved massively while in Bellator. I think his grappling's improved. His striking is more creative and more diversified. I'm interested to see where he goes and see if he can defend this belt because I definitely think he's in the conversation. And it's the first time in a while, I think, that Bellator's had a real claim that one of their champions is actually the best in the world. So, um, yeah, I totally agree. Um, all right, so what what do you see being next for these guys? I'd like to see Bader take some time off because I think he took a beating in this fight. And I kind of yeah. want to see him go to heavyweight permanently, yeah, to be honest. I do too. I, I, I'd like to see him either rematch Czech Congo, fight another Fedor guy in Valentin Moldovsky, or fight Valent- uh, uh, what's his name, Vladimir Minikov, the former Bellator champ. I, I, I think any of those is more interesting to me than anything at light heavyweight. And then Nemkov, I want to see him fight the winner of uh, Lyoto Machida and Phil Davis this weekend. And then take on Corey Anderson, assuming that Corey Anderson wins his Bellator debut this fall. Corey Anderson hasn't got booked yet, has he? I think he came. He hasn't gotten booked. No. Okay. Uh, Scott Coker said that he should fight sometime in November, but it will not be for the title. Okay. Um, All right. So that leads me to my next question. You and I talked about this a little bit, but um, how how would you rank the top five light heavyweights in the world right now? Um, across Bellator and UFC. So uh, obviously we're excluding John Jones, who has said that he's moving up to heavyweight. He would be the de facto number one, right? But uh, order from five to one. So five, I have Jan Blahovich. I think he's showcased that he's one of the best in the world. Four, I would have Ryan Bader. I just think his his he's kind of like Jan Blahovich with better wrestling, in my opinion. I think they're very similar fighters. Three, I have Tiago Santos. I think he's really good, and we'll see what he looks like coming off the knee injury. Um, two, I have Vadim Nemkov. And one, I have Dom Reyes. But any of those top three guys are really close. I, I, I could see, you know, if you told me that those top three guys beat each other up and it was kind of a weird triangle, I would not be surprised at all. What yeah, did I, you have? I think it's so, so close. Um I think, like like you said, with John out, it's very, very even right now. And I think now's the time for the next great light heavyweight to establish themselves. So I'm going to go ahead and say Dom is number one. I think Santos is number two, just based alone off of what he did to John Jones on basically two fucked up legs. Um, I'm going to put Nimkov at three, Jan at four, and Bader at five. Um, that's how I see it right now. Obviously... That, that could have been the last time we see Bader at light heavyweight. So um, I think time will kind of tell what some of those guys like, you know, Yuri Prohoskin and um, Rackage do over the next year or so. But that's how I see light heavyweight right now. I see it as kind of a rebuilding 
process, you know, after the greatest fighter of all time is moving up a weight class. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, let's move on to the Frankie Edgar versus Pedros Munoz fight. Um, what did you think of this fight? Uh, I, I thought it was a really close fight. It was exciting stylistically Two two guys who were really tacticians in there, but not in the way that it was a chess match, right? Like there was a lot of technique, but they still let the fists go. They let the strikes go. I had Frankie winning three, two. Um, I saw a lot of controversy around this fight, but I just thought Munoz was not active enough in the early rounds. So in a really close fight, I thought the early rounds pretty clearly went to Frankie due to activity, but uh, definitely, a, definitely a close, close fight. What did you think? I agree. I, I had it. I had it three two, maybe four one. Frankie. I just thought Frankie was a more active fighter. It was. It was good to see. It almost looked like a kind of a vintage Frankie Edgar fight. I mean, he was taking big shots, but he was moving with them, and he just kept coming. The footwork was great. Um, I, I thought he looked really good. So I, I was happy to see Frankie come back and put on a good performance after you know struggling his last couple outs. So I had it three to two, possibly four to one. I, I had no problem with the decision. Um, for Munoz, he's now lost two in a row. So where do you think he goes from here? I love the matchup with Brian Boom Kelleher. I think Boom, you know, has really been kind of a company man throughout the whole COVID situation. Uh, both he and Pedro Munoz have great guillotines. So I think that's a cool matchup. And it gives Munoz a chance against a guy who, not to disparage Boom Kelleher, who I think is a great fighter, but it gives Brian a chance to break into the top 10. It gives Pedro a chance against a guy who is, you know, maybe not a top 15 fighter, at least not right now, and, and kind of gives him a chance to bounce back against those two losses. So I actually think it's a perfect matchup for those two guys. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm down with that. So, um, for Frankie, obviously, the, the move down to 135 was a great success. Um, what's next for him? I still love the Frankie against Dom Cruz fight too. stylistically. Yeah, I think it's so fun. I think it's two legends of the sport. I think it's Frankie's chance to show that he would have been the most elite light or elite bantamweight of his generation. Um, but if Frankie is after this 135 belt even right now, it's got to be Corey Sandhagen. That's who he's got to chase. Like, if he wants to move up in these rankings, I mean, that would be the guy to fight, in my opinion. But I do love the Dom Cruz matchup stylistically. Yeah, I I got to go with the Dom Cruz matchup. I, I'd like to see Dom fight again. Um, and it's kind of a fun old guy fight. You know, it's not make or break for title. But if either guy won, it's a step back in the right direction. I, I think both of those guys have two or three more left in them. Um, you know, I think Dom's going to feel, he's not going to feel great about his last fight. And I think he's going to want to get back in there. You follow his social media. He's training constantly. So he looks like he's ready to get back in there and, and make it happen. And that's a, that's a great matchup. Is, is Stan Hagen matched up with anyone right now? No, he has not been matched up. Okay. Um, all right, well, yeah, I'm down with that. Let's move on to uh, Alistair Overeem. The gift that keeps giving after all these years gets another devastating finish against August Augusto Sakai. Um, what did you make of the fight, and what did you make of Overeem's game plan? I think he's the craftiest fighter of all time at heavyweight, right? I mean, you look at Fedor, you look at Stipe, I mean, two very skilled fighters 
They just don't have the gamesmanship that Overeem has, in my opinion. Uh, I, like, Overeem uses the shell for most of this fight. He defends himself. He kind of absorbs these shots from Sakai that are not fight enders. He doesn't take anything cleanly. He lets Sakai kind of punch himself out. And then by the time the fourth round rolls around, Overeem's just ready to finish him because Sakai is exhausted. So Overeem's like hitting takedowns, hitting ground and pound. I mean, it's just so veteran. It's so smart. It's so crafty in there. I was so impressed by this performance from Alistair Overeem. What did you think? I totally agree. I think Overeem's, his ability to continue to reinvent himself. You know, he, he's got, I think, 14 or 15 knockouts on his on his record and you know some of the most memorable ones the francis one the rosenstroke one are some of the most vicious knockouts in ufc history but the dude just keeps coming back and he keeps getting better and he keeps adding tools to his arsenal late into his 40s which you don't see at heavyweight you know at heavyweight most of these guys are kind of one trick ponies they're either wrestler ground and pound guys or they're you know big knockout guys and Overeem is probably one of the most has became one of the most well-rounded fighters on the roster. He's got 66 professional fights. You know, he's fought in the best of the best of four, five, six different organizations from Pride to Dream to K1, Strike Force. I mean, the dude's done it all. His his resume when it's all said and done is going to be one of the best MMA resumes of all time. But I I just I really do I think his his fight IQ and his his recent strategy it's like you know he's just going to take these guys he's not he's going to fight safe he's not going to take damage in the early rounds he's not going to get viciously knocked out like he did against francis he's going to fight safe he's going to drain these guys in the early rounds he'll he'll even give up one or two rounds but come round three round four round five i mean he's going to take you down he's going to beat you up and he's going to get the finish and it's it's very impressive to keep watching this dude evolve and grow you know, over his career. And I, I really do. We'll talk about this later, but I really do think he'll earn his way back to another title fight. I really do. So um, with this fight, obviously Overeem's not done, but for you, what does this do for Overeem's legacy and where do you currently rank him all time as a heavyweight? I mean, this guy's 40 years old. You know, he's clearly not the same guy physically. I mean, when you think about what he looks like now versus like the Uberim days when he fought Brock Lesnar, it's just not the same guy. And he's still finishing top 15 heavyweights in the world. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that Augusto Sakai is a top 15 heavyweight in the world right now. And Overeem finished him. And like you said, it's 66 pro MMA fights. It's across 20 years. It's across every major organization in the sport. You know, he's he's never really had the recognition that he deserves, in my opinion. But to me, the three best heavyweights of all time, it's Fedor, Stipe, and then Alistair Overeem. And I don't see a guy who has the resume that he has in terms of, I mean, if you think about, I mean, even if you include all his kickboxing fights, it's ridiculous. This guy's an Iron Man. He constantly evolves. He's been at every major camp in MMA. It's really like, it's kind of an unheard of career that this guy has put together. And I could not be more impressed that at 40 years old, he is still at the top of the game doing this. 
Yeah, and when he he came and gave a seminar at our gym a couple months ago, and that's one of the things he brought up is he just said that's been his strategy over his whole career is you know he'll go to a gym for one or two years and he'll switch and go to the next one and keep going and keep going and keep going. And the way he sees it is he's learning, he's taking one thing from this gym, one thing from this gym and combining it and adding to his toolbox, which like, like I said, I mean, that's the biggest thing that stood out to me over his most recent win. The dude's really, if you take the Rosenstroik fight out, which he was winning the entire fight. I mean, he's, he's won four of his last five at heavyweight, which is, I mean, pretty awesome for a dude that's 40 years old. Um, yeah, when I I think at the end of his career, if he does not end up getting a heavyweight belt, we're going to have him in that discussion about the best fighter of all time to not win win a UFC belt. And when we have that discussion, a lot of times we leave Overeem out. You know, we focus on the Dan Hendersons, uh, Uriah Favors, the um, who are we talking about? Even Yoel uh, Romero gets Yoel brought up more Romero's. than Overeem. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just. I, I went down and looked through his resume today, and it is absolutely ridiculous. I he he's got wins over six former UFC champions: Vitor Belfort, Verdum, Lesnar, Mir, JDS, and Arlowski. Um, it's unbelievable! It's unbelievable what that dude's done over his career, and he just keeps getting better and better. So, um, I mean, I, I think in this next fight, he's gonna get ranked up you know, matched up against someone in the top five. Um, who would you like to see him fight in the top five? Because you look at the rankings right now. He's got knockout losses to everyone that's ahead of him. So Stipe knocked him out. Francis knocked him out. Blades finished him. And Rosenstroik finished him. So I really don't think you could go wrong with any of those matchups. But who in particular would you like to see him fight next? Yeah, I, I really want to see the Jarzinho rosenstroik rematch. I want to see Biggie Boy against... Overeem, I think that stoppage was kind of suspect. I think, like you said, I think Overeem won every single round of that fight. I think he was winning that fight 50 to 45 if that doesn't get stopped. Um, So that's what I want to see. I want to see him be able to get that one back. And I think if he does, it's hard to argue that he's not next in line for the title shot, right? I mean, I, I don't see how, especially if Francis gets it, like how you could argue that you would rather see the Blades rematch against Francis for a trilogy. He's lost two fights already over the Overeem rematch. I, I just think I'd much rather see that fight. Yeah, another one to throw at you is I, I wouldn't pe- put it past the UFC to offer the John Jones fight. You know, if they move forward with Stipe versus Francis, um, I think Overeem is a great stylistic matchup for John Jones. They're former teammates. Um, they've got good storylines there. Obviously, the best light heavyweight of all time versus one of the best heavyweights of all time. Um, so I wouldn't put that one past the UFC booking. Maybe the UFC sees that as the safest fight they can make for John in the top five um, when you look at who's ahead of Overeem right now. So that's something to look at as well. But, yeah, I, I think they should go with Rosenstroik next. I just think... Um, yeah, I agree. I think Alistair dominated that fight. I think he's going to want that one back. And that's another thing he said in the seminar, that he definitely wants to get that one back. And then, you know, I think if he could get a rematch with Stipe, I, I, I think it's totally possible we see Alistair Overeem fighting for a title later, maybe 2021 at 41 years old. So um, that, w- that was going to be my next question. What are, what are the odds of Alistair getting one last chance at the title? 
I think they're really high. I, I don't see how you could hold this guy back, especially you know if he's able to go in there and get the biggie boy fight back and win that one. How do you hold that guy back? How do you tell that guy he's not deserving of a title shot? I, I think he's right. I think he's one, maybe two wins away from a title shot. And, and I think he will fight for a UFC title again before his career is done. I do too. I mean, you look at everyone ahead of him in that top five, every one of those fights are competitive fights. You know, there's not one fight I see, even the Stipe fight, that I say, oh, that's a landslide. That's going to be a landslide victory for Stipe. And no, Overeem's a tough matchup for anyone, including John Jones in the move up to heavyweight. So um, another great win for He was win winning that Stipe fight until he lost. Yeah. He, I mean, it's Absolutely. a cliche, right? But yeah. he had the submission attempt. I get the joke, like, Stipe tapped. It's all over. Everyone loves it. But, you know, Alistair was winning that fight, and then Stipe just kind of took over. And, you know, that happens. That's heavyweight MMA. But at the end of the day, there is literally no one, including Francis, in the heavyweight division who I don't look at against Alistair Overeem and say, you know what? Overeem has a shot. And that's unbelievable to do at 40 years old. Yeah, I also think if they go ahead and skip um, Francis for John and they give John the Stipe fight, I think Francis versus Overeem's a great matchup, rematch again. You know, he's got that devastating knockout against him. You know Overeem's going to want to get that one back. So, um, yeah, heavyweight's, heavyweight's going to be awesome over the next year. I'm really excited for heavyweight. So, uh, Billy, off of that card, any other fights or fighters worth mentioning? I mean... You can't Our you guy. can't not talk about Michelle Pereira is the most exciting guy in MMA, maybe in all of sports. I mean, showtime kicks, Stockton slaps, he's blowing kisses. I mean, and honestly, Parker, this is the best we've ever seen him look in the UFC cage. Because yeah. Imadayev is not a joke fighter at all. And I thought Pereira pieced him up. I thought he really tooled him up. So um, he's looking better and better. And then shout out to our guy, Brian Boom Kelleher, another guillotine victory. That guillotine is nasty, man. He, he looked good too. Uh, but yeah, uh, Pereira and Brian Kelleher. Those are my two, uh, other shout outs. What did you have? Yeah. Pierre is, he's going to be a problem. If he, he looked in this fight, he looked in 10 times better shape than his previous UFC fights. Um, he looked great. He looked super loose in there and he really, he did. He picked that Russian dude apart. And that Russian guy's he's a tough out. But um yeah, I, I thought he looked much improved. I'll be interested to see where he goes next, but I mean that's a guy that one, two, three finishes, you could find him in the top ten, you know? So um and then yeah, boom again with another solid win. I feel like Boom has fought at least five times during Corona. At least. I feel like to- Boom fights every week like he's an NFL team. We might, have to, we might have to check the stats on that. But, um, all right, let's get into this weekend's card. I'm going to let you go ahead and start previewing it. Yeah, so, uh, you know, honestly, not a great card. We we lost the main event with Glover Teixeira testing positive for COVID-19. But uh, some history here. Angela Hill versus Michelle Waterson is the main event. Angela Hill is the first black woman to ever headline a UFC card. So, couldn't happen to a better person. I think we both love Angela Hill, love everything she kind of stands for, and uh, you know, just love her attitude about fighting. So very excited to see her fight this week. Um, what what do you think about that part? Yeah, no, that's an awesome historic moment, you know, for the UFC and for Angela Hill. Um, I think this is just a great matchup. 
you know, it's this is going to be a super, super fun women's fight. Um, I think it'll be fast-paced. Basically going to be a fast-paced kickboxing match, I think. Um, both women are super talented. I think Angela Hills got screwed a couple times on decisions, and I think she... You know, she's just so small, it's it's hard for her to finish anyone. She just doesn't have that power, but she's just, she's an animal. I love watching her fights. Um, Karate Hotties, great fighter. Um, getting older, you know, but I think this is a big test for Angela Hill. If she can get a win here, break into the top 10 at straw weight, um, this is a big shot for her. So for Karate Hottie, she has now lost two of her last three. Like I said, she's aging. She's 34 years old. Do you see this as a must win for her in her UFC career? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as much as you and I both love Angela Hill and both love watching her fight, here's the reality. Angela Hill is ranked number 13 in the strawweight division. She's 12 and 8. If if Michelle Waterson can't beat Angela Hill, she's never getting a title shot. I mean, that would set her back multiple years, you know, even if she went on a winning streak, you know, 37-year-olds, 38-year-olds don't compete at the top of women's straw weight. It's the deepest division in women's MMA. She, This is a must-win for her if she has aspirations of ever winning a title in this division. Yeah, and on the other hand, Angela Hill has won three of her last five. Um, one of the losses, we both agreed she got screwed in that decision to Claudia Gadeja. Um, do you expect her to bounce back here? Yeah, I do. You know, like yeah. I said, like we both have said so many times, I think she beat Claudia Gadeja. I I think this is a huge spot for her because I think Waterson is actually a more marketable name than Gadeja. And I think now that she's the main event, like stylistically, this is someone who is going to stand and bang with her. I mean, Waterson yeah. is is a is a stand up fighter. So I think Angie is going to be able to use her Muay Thai. She's going to be able to, you know, kind of use her elbows, use her knees. And uh, this could be a showcase fight for Angela Hill, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I totally agree. So uh, stylistically, let's talk about this real quick, and then we'll get a decision. What do you expect from both of these girls stylist stylistically? I mean, Watterson, they, you know, even though they're both stand-up fighters, they fight very differently. Watterson is someone who wants to keep you at range, wants to keep you in kind of that kicking range, use a lot of feints, a lot of movement, you know, keep you on the edge of her kicks because at the end of the day, she's still really small for the strawweight division. This is someone who fought at Adam weight previously. So um, she's kind of trying to, you know, dance around the outside and, you know, hit you, hit you to the body, hit you to the legs, slow you down, and then kind of pick you apart when you get tired on the ground. Um, Hill, on the other hand, she's in your face. She's a striker, but it's elbows and knees. It's classic Muay Thai. It's, she wants to bloody you up. She wants to make this a very dirty fight. I expect her to use the clinch. I think she could even use some trips early and force Watterson to play guard. Um, I think I think it's going to be really exciting to see, you know, kind of who can who can kind of control the control the distance, control the range of this fight. That's ultimately who's going to win this. All right, let's get your prediction. I have Angela Hill by decision. I I just think I, yeah. I think she's going to be able to kind of push the action, get Watterson maybe up against the fence. 
maybe be able to take her down. But ultimately, I think she's just on a different level right now. I think she's really taking a leap in her skill level. And Watterson seems kind of stagnant to me, to be honest. So I have Angela Hill by decision. What do you think? I do too. I, I think it's going to be a fun fight. It'll be a back and forth fight. But I think this is going to be the fight that gets Angela over the hill into the top 10. And then it's just going to set up more fun fights for her going forward. So, uh, yeah, both of us will go Angela Hill by decision. All right, let's uh, pop over to Bellator. Is this – Bellator has two cards this weekend, right? A Friday and a Saturday? They're doing the back-to-back cards, yep. Yeah, so um, which one's the Machida one on? Is that Friday? That's Friday. Okay, and then the so, Bantamweight title's Saturday. Okay, so um, we've got Loyola Machida, the Dragon, taking on Phil Davis. Um, we, we talked about it previously, but in your mind, is this a number one contender fight for Nimkov? I think so. I think so, especially with Coker saying that Corey Anderson's not getting an immediate title shot. I, these are the top two light heavyweights in Bellator right now. I mean, the only other guy that would kind of throw a wrench in this plan and honestly could be a debut fight for Corey Anderson is uh, Gegard Mousasi at light heavyweight. But, um, yeah, I think Lyoto has some of the best name value in Bellator right now, and Davis and Nemkov fought last year to a very close split decision. So uh, I definitely think this is number one contender fight. So for Leota Machida, obviously a legend of the sport, um, do you see any chance of him ever fighting for another title in Bellator at any division? I do think he'll fight for a title. I don't think it will be at light heavyweight. I think light heavyweight is actually one of Bellator's deeper divisions. And I think middleweight is actually really shallow for them. So I could see Leota Machida fighting for a title at middleweight after they kind of sort out that title situation with Rafael Lovato retiring. Um, but I, I do I do think Leota Machida fights for a title at some point in Bellator. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Bellator, I, I tend to agree with you. I don't think it's going to be a light heavyweight. Um, who's the champion at middleweight right now? Musasi? Or is it's it vacant. vacant. Because uh, Lovato retired after he beat Musasi. So it's supposed to be Musasi against Douglas Lima for the middleweight title. But Machida and Musasi just fought not long ago, right? I think Musasi won a decision. They fought last year, and it's now 1-1 because Machida beat Musasi earlier. So I could see a trilogy if Musasi wins, honestly. I could They're shallow at middleweight. Yeah, Leota Machida is a big enough name that... You know, if one of those guys gets the title, I think he could step right in and get a title shot. At he's got to be forty years old now, too, huh? I think he's forty-one. Yeah, but um, yeah. So, Leona Machida, in your mind, um, is he a Hall of Famer? He's right on the border for me, right? I I think it's really close. Um, you know, he obviously won the UFC title. He's, I think, really it's about style, right? Like he's one of the first karate guys to really be successful in the UFC. Um, I think beating Phil Davis, honestly, you know, Phil Davis is still a top 15 light heavyweight in the world for me. So I think if, if Lyoto Machida was able to beat him at 40 years old, that would add and kind of solidify that this guy is one of the best ever, but it's more about his style than it is about his resume for me. Um, you know, I have no problem if he makes the Hall of Fame, but he's right on the border. What do you think? 
I agree. I I think he's he's a pioneer of the sport. He's kind of paved the way for guys like Michael Venom Page, uh, Wonder Boy in the UFC, just that kind of karate style um, that's been so effective over the years. But um, I mean, you go down and look at his resume. He's got great wins on it. BJ Penn, Richard Evans, Randy Couture, uh, Ryan Bader, Dan Henderson, Musasi, Belfort, uh, Chell Sonnen. He's got the vicious, you know, highlight reel knockouts. So, I mean, he, he's a guy in, in my mind, you know, when I was growing up, I, I loved Leona Machida. It was just like super exciting to watch. I was a karate guy. I loved it. So, I don't know. In, in my mind, he's a pioneer of the sport. And I, I think he'll, when he decides to hang it up, become a Hall of Famer for sure. Um, what do you think or what do you expect of this fight stylistically? I think this is a classic striker versus grappler matchup, right? I think Lyoto's going to want to keep it at range. He's going to use a lot of footwork. He's going to kick, you know, a lot of leg kicks, a lot of body kicks, and and just try and absolutely, you know, take apart Davis very methodically from the outside. And Davis is going to want to press Lyoto right up against the fence, take him down with that double leg, and, you know, keep him there while kind of landing like little rabbit punches or ground and pound, you know, from side control or from a mount position. Um, but I think it's going to be really about Davis trying to control Lyoto on the ground. So it's kind of that classic striker versus grappler matchup. I agree. I think Davis has to make this fight dirty. He's got to push it up against the cage. He's got to get takedowns. He's got to control him. He's just got to, you know, grind on him basically. Um, and I, I think if he can do that... Is this a three or a five round fight? This is probably a five round. It's fight, a three yeah. round fight. It's it's three round fight. Yeah, I mean, so I, he could do that for three rounds, and you know, I think he cruises to a decision here, and then I, I do think you see Machida, you know, a couple more times, and maybe, maybe another trilogy against Musasi. So, um, but anyway, that's a good fight. That's going down Friday, and then you go ahead and jump into the Spaniard Juan Archuleta taking on Patchy Mix. Yeah, so that's Saturday. That's uh, for the Bellator uh, vacant bantamweight title with Kyoji Horiguchi hurt. Um, so another striker versus grappler matchup, but a little different. Like, Patchy Mix is more of a submission artist than Phil Davis is. He's not a control guy. He's not, like, one of your classic wrestlers. Like, he's looking to take the back and choke people out, and he's very good at it. You know, I think his last five or six wins have been by submission. Um and then Archuleta is kind of the classic kickboxer, trains with TJ Dillashaw, fights like TJ Dillashaw, um, you know, very fast, very good movement. So it's really a question of who can impose their will, right? It's, you know, who who's going to win that battle? Is, is Mix going to be able to get Archuleta to the ground and submit him? Or is Archuleta going to be able to keep the fight standing and kind of pick Patrick Mix apart from, from the outside? Yeah, um... Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. So um, where do you put the winner of this in the hierarchy of the 135-pound weight class, you know, across the UFC and Bellator? Yeah, I, I don't – I still think, you know, Aljo and Peter Yan are the are the two best bantamweights in the world for my money. And I would probably put Marlon Marais and Cody Garbrandt above uh, either Mix or Archuleta. But I think a guy like Frankie Edgar or Corey Sanhagen would have a really hard time against either of these guys. I think they're right there, kind of in the top 10 in the world, if not the top five. What do you think? I agree. I, I think anyone from maybe five to 10, it's a very competitive fight. But once you get 
past number five, you know, once you get into the Cody Garbrandts and Marlon Marias's, Aljamain Sterling's, Peter Yawn, that's a big ass. That that division is super, super competitive right now. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say anywhere from five to ten. So, what is your prediction on this fight? I'm going to take mix. I'm going to take mix by third round submission. And you know what? I think there is a good chance that patchy mix we're looking up in a year or two and saying that guy's the best bantamweight in the world. I've never seen someone grapple an MMA like him. I've never seen someone with kind of the, the speed and technique that he has on the ground at this division. So um, I'm very excited to watch him, his rise. I know we both love Juan Archuleta and love watching him fight, but I think Patrick Mix might be one of the best fighters in the world at bantamweight. I'm going to go with my guy, Juan Archuleta. I, I think he gets a knockout, second-round knockout. Um, I just like Juan Archuleta. He's got that you know, TJ Dillashaw, Bang Muay Thai, striking uh, style. Just super fun to watch, super active, hard to track down. Um, coming, he's coming off a loss, isn't he? So I, I'm going to look uh, for him. To Pitbull, brother. Yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna look for him to bounce back here. Um, I think he's for that weight class. He's a super devastating puncher. Um, I'm gonna go knock out the Spaniard Juan Archuleta. So uh, Bellator, two fun cards this weekend. Um, all right, let's get into Parker's favorite topic, Billy. We're gonna go Diaz on the podcast here. Let's go. All right, um, so we're gonna talk briefly about Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz. Um, Last week came out that the BMF round two was being negotiated, not finalized yet, but they're looking at early January to book it. Um, how interested are you in this rematch? To be honest, not that interested. Um, I think Jorge Masvidal beat the brakes off of Nate Diaz. I've watched that fight a few times now because initially I was like, that was a fun competitive fight. And then when I went back and watched it, I was like, actually, Jorge Masvidal very badly beat Nate Diaz and possibly would have finished him. Um, I know this is going to be unpopular. It's definitely going to be unpopular with you. Nate Diaz is not a top 10 welterweight in the world. I don't think he's, I don't even know if he's a top 15 welterweight in the world, but he's a top five draw in the UFC. And that's why he's relevant. It's his character that people are more interested in than his actual fighting ability. Um, at this point, he's a 35-year-old with double-digit losses who's taken a ton of damage in his career and hasn't shown a ton of growth over the past four or so years since he fought Connor. Um, I'm just not that interested, and I don't see any reason why Jorge Masvidal doesn't absolutely beat the brakes off him again. I, I agree with you that I think Nate, we've seen the best of him. I think he peaked in... You know, Nate versus Connor one was kind of the height of his powers. And ever since then, he's just became kind of this celebrity fighter that, you know, is a big name that they can headline a pay-per-view with. But um, I still think it's a fun fight. It's a competitive fight. Um, you know, I think Nate was injured going into the last fight, had a knee injury that hindered his training. So that'll be very interesting to see. I don't know the difference. I, I just think the second fight is going to be much more competitive than the first fight. Um, I do think if this ends up being some sort of crazy war that we get a trilogy because I, I don't know. I just, I don't think Jorge Masvidal wants to fight Woodley or Colby, you know, right now. I don't think he's going to fight Leon Edwards. So I don't know. I just think he's in this weird spot where it's like, you know, you either got to fight the contender or you got to take big money fights. And I think Jorge's going to take big money fights. 
And I still think I, – I think with a win off of Nate, he could – just with how popular he is and how he talks, I, I think he could talk himself back into a title fight. So for Jorge Masvidal, it's kind of a win-win. He gets a giant payday. Um, you know, he's fighting a guy that he pretty much pieced up the first three rounds of that fight, although it got stopped in you know somewhat controversy. Um, and yeah, Nate's just a bigger draw for him right now. So I, I I wouldn't be surprised if you see him fight Nate twice. You know, if Nate wins a decision or something here, and then they fight again. I just, you know, I, I unless it's for the title at welterweight, I don't see Jorge fighting contenders. Um, if I'm if I'm Jorge Masvidal, I'd fight Nate Diaz once a week. Yeah. I, I think it's it's an easier fight than any of those guys that you named, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think Nate is Tyron Woodley, even this diminished Tyron Woodley that we've seen. I don't think he's Colby Covington. I don't yeah. think he's Leon Edwards. I don't even think he's like a Damian Maya. Like, I don't even think he's that good. Like, I would fight him every week. He's worth yeah. more money. You can headline pay-per-views with him. Like, I would fight him literally every week and cash those checks if you're Jorge Masvidal because that's the name of the game at this point for Jorge. He probably has max five fights left maximize that value fight nate fight connor fight friggin cowboy again like who fight the biggest possible names fight canelo like you know i i would just i would get in there if i'm jorge masvidal and fight the biggest possible names i could fight and cash those checks and if people don't like it like tough but you guys aren't buying the pay-per-views when it's number one versus number two like, that's the reality. People are buying these pay-per-views. It is one of the highest-selling pay-per-views in UFC history for the BMF title, and it was not a competitive fight. Why would you not do that if you're Jorge Masvidal? It makes yeah. no sense not to. Yeah, I, I get it. Like, you know, Colby and Woodley and Leon Edwards bitching about it. But, I mean, even Woodley, when he was champion, Jorge Masvidal fighting Nate Diaz, who's ranked, what, eight? At welterweight right now is a much bigger fight than Jorge Masvidal fighting Tyron Woodley when he was the champion. Just that's the bottom line. So um, yeah, I've got no problem with it. I, I'm totally down with it. And you know, I, we're gonna move to this next. But I hope they could get the Diaz brothers on the same card. That would be epic. I would absolutely love that. But um, all right, that brings us to the next topic. So Nick Diaz alleges again that he's making his return. He's been out of the octagon for almost six years. Um, later, Earlier this week, he released a video looking absolutely shredded, had the haircut, looked like a vintage. He looked like 25-year-old Nick Diaz. I mean, the dude looked really, really good. Apparently went through a 14-week training camp, got absolutely shredded, back to training. Billy, what's your initial reactions of Nick Diaz's return? I call this segment Parker Eats the Trash Again. No. This is every year we see this, Parker. Every year. I looked it up. Every single year there's a news story that comes out that Nick Diaz is plotting a return to MMA. He's in camp. Blah, 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 blah. Here's the reality. Here's the facts, right? Nick Diaz has not fought in six years. He has not won a fight since 2011. When he last won a fight in 2011, Conor McGregor was fighting on Celtic Gladiator cards. That's the last time that Nick Diaz won a fight. He's not he's not a top 10 at, at welterweight. By the way, I disagree. Against, I totally disagree. His last win is against BJ Penn. It's against BJ Penn. I 
I think Nick is competitive against everyone in the top ten except Colby and except Usman. Look at the look at That's the roster. Nonsense. It's no, nonsense. We have no not. idea. This camp, this camp that he's in, he's not at ATT. He's not at Jackson Wink. He's not at Rufus Sport. The only person who is like verifying that this is happening are the actual Diaz brothers. Like Nate got smashed against Jorge Masvidal, who is is in the top ten at welterweight, right? AJ Agazarm, who apparently trains with these okay, guys can, every you day, can't compare can't AJ beat jobbers in Bellator. He can't beat jobbers in Bellator. You cannot compare AJ Agazar to the Diaz brothers. That's he's who like the, he's training with. That's his training partner. Well, he's he's like his buddy, his stoner buddy that he brought along and got into fighting. That guy's a scrub. Nick Diaz and Nate Diaz are world class. Nick even more so. In his prime was one of the best fighters on the planet. It was 10 years ago. That guy hasn't been a top 10 welterweight since <clears throat> 2009, Parker. I don't know, he just Billy. Hasn't. I think he's making a comeback. I think he's for he's real. He's been partying in Vegas on Instagram for a year straight. He's been at the Encore Beach Club. <laughs> I think he's coming back, Billy. He's coming back and it's going to be epic. It's going to be awesome. You're you're seriously telling me Go hold on. Let me pull up the UFC welterweight rankings right now. Walter. Neil okay. Magny beats the brakes off Nick Diaz right now. Beats the brakes off him. Like I don't a know if Neil Magny beats not fun to watch if, fight. I don't know if Neil Magny beats Nate Diaz, and Nick Diaz in my mind is a much better fighter. Maybe 10, 12 years ago. Not today. It's sure? twenty twenty, pal. The guy hasn't fought. He's he's fresh. He's ready to go. You look he's at fresh. Um, he's been he's been smoking joints the size of my thumb at the Encore Beach Club for a year and a half. Maybe he's been recovering. He's been resting his mind and his body. Okay, let's go. Say yes or no, Damian Maya. No, no. That's an interesting fight, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. No, not not close. Not a fun fight. Not a close fight. Showtime Pettis. N- no. What? Are you kidding me? No, Woodley. he doesn't beat him. He does not beat him. Jeff. I'm Neal, saying competitive. Jeff Neal's ranked twelfth. Jeff Neal hurts Nick Diaz very badly. Like <laughs> Jeff Neal puts Nick Diaz in the hospital. He's having surgery. Like it is bad. Bad. I don't think so. He's going to have surgery anyway with that scar tissue. But, um, all right, well, you and I are definitely in odds here. We're going to see. Time will tell. But Nick Diaz allegedly making a comeback. All right, let me go to my next question. If he does make a comeback, who do you want to see him match up with first? A, and assuming he gets a win, which he will, how many times do you think he fights in 2021? He's not coming back for a one-off, right? Unless he gets beat badly like Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz style. That's the only time he's he's going to be a one-off. And then we can finally put this to bed. The two guys that I would like to see him fight if if he comes back, Robbie Lawler, who's looked terrible over his past few fights, has looked awful. And then Diego Sanchez is the other guy with Josh Fabia, the absolute insane guru using his defensive chicken tactics. But Diego Sanchez has multiple wins since Nick Diaz has last fought. Okay. 
Who am I going with here? I think he's going to come back early 2021. I like the Robbie Lawler fight. They've got history. Uh, Nick Nick knocked him out back in the day. I really like the winner. If Assuming that Jorge beats Nate again, I think that's like a given. Assu- and also I assuming that Nick you're sitting here like I'm a Diaz Brothers <laughs> fan and you want to put Nate and Nick against Jorge Masvidal again. Like... That is not. I, the I thing just think that it's I great drama. See happen if I'm a fan of someone. I, like, I love. I love storylines. I don't think hurt. I don't think hurt. I think the second fight with Nate's going to be a lot more competitive. If Jorge gets past Nate again, and Nick gets a win in early 2021, that's a gigantic fight. That's a bigger fight than Nate versus Jorge. Nick versus Jorge is a bigger fight. Hundred percent. Nick. The MMA fan today, like you and I know who Nick Diaz is. He is not he is not nearly as big as you think he is with the populace right now. That's who bullshit. Watches MMA. You, you go to a fight and Nick Diaz is there, he's like a god. He walks in the arena, the whole crowd goes wild. I remember he was in Vegas for the Connor fight. He walked in, they flashed him on the screen, he just gave a wave, and the whole crowd erupted. The Diaz brothers have this weird just cult following. And I don't know. I hope the UFC the UFC has fucked this up royally over the last six years. And I hope they make it right and we get two to three more fun fights out of these guys. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying Nick Diaz is going to win a title. But I'm saying he's going to come back and have some super fun fights if he's going to fight. That's and I'm, I'm saying this is a 37-year-old man who has not won a fight in a decade. Let's be realistic. Okay. <laughs> Billy, Billy the realist. All right. Um... Let's swing through a couple more current events, and then we'll get out of here right on an hour. Wow, we're making good time, Billy. All right, so um, Dustin versus Tony is in jeopardy, and it's actually officially off as of today. Dustin said he will not be fighting on the October 24th card. Um, That's a kick in the nuts. That was really stacking up to be an awesome fight. Um, What do you think the chances are of this fight materializing if not on the August twenty or the October twenty fourth card, you know, down the line. I think this is like an absolutely perfect fight. I mean, like this is two very fan friendly guys. Dustin Poirier is as good a guy as you get in this sport. He's absolutely paid his dues. He's an extremely exciting fighter. You and I both think he's the second best lightweight in the world. Um, I don't understand why he can't get paid. Like if Dustin Poirier can't get paid by the UFC, who can? Um, I, I just don't, I don't see why you don't pay him. I hope this fight happens. I'm afraid that the UFC is trying to kind of cut back on costs or cut back on salaries, but this fight should happen. So I'm going to say 85%. I think that this fight happens. Yeah. I mean, you look at Dustin Poirier's last five fights outside of the Khabib fight, Dan Hooker fight of the night, incredible fight, Max Holloway. Fight of the night, incredible fight. Eddie Alvarez, crazy, crazy fight. Justin Gaethje, insane fight. This is one of the biggest action fighters in MMA, and he's been doing it for 10-plus years at the highest level. Um, Yeah, he he needs to be paid what he's worth. I, I totally agree with that. And they could be holding out to get a main event. I mean, like, Dustin versus Tony could definitely headline a pay-per-view, I think. 
I mean, two of those fights, like, I would argue that the Poirier-Holloway fight and the Poirier-Gaethje fight weren't just fight of the night. I'd argue they were fight of the year contenders. And I'd argue that his fight with Dan Hooker is the front runner or two behind Joanna and Wiley for fight of the year this year. I mean, that guy, every time he goes out there, it's literally one of the top five fights of the year. I don't get why you don't pay him. Yeah, 100%. Um, so... Hopefully that'll get booked. I think both of those guys want to make that happen. Um, yeah, I, I think that'll get booked, if not on the October card, maybe November, December. But um, all right, let's move on to the next one. Tyron Woodley matchup coming up against Colby Covington. That's next weekend, right? The 18th? Uh, I think it's I think it's the 19th, right? Okay. But yes, it is next weekend. So um, Woodley came out saying he's going to let the hands go. And that's something we've heard for the last two fights. So what were your thoughts on that? You know, it's I, and I'm like the last Tyron Woodley fan left, I feel like. But I, I just think it's like getting hard to trust him when he says stuff like this. Like he's saying, like, I'm, I'll take the point deduction. I'm going to like I'll hit him with a low blow. Like, I'm finally going to listen to the fans, blah, 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 blah. Like you fought. You fought your last 50 minutes in the octagon where it was like your hands were tied behind your back. Like, if you were going to let the hands go, like, where has it been, T-Wood? Like, he's got, I still think he's got some of the biggest power in the welterweight division. He's clearly got pretty good boxing. Like, punch the guy in the face. I mean, you know, Colby Covington's not like some incredible striker. It's really about the cardio with Covington. It's about his grinding wrestling style. Like, I hope he lets the hands go because that's where Tyron Woodley's the most successful. But at the end of the day, how do we trust this guy with that these kind of statements at this point? I'm I'm really scared for this fight for Tyron. I, I think Colby's gonna do the same thing that Usman and Gilbert Burns did, and he's gonna melt Tyron Woodley. I really do. I really, really do. I know there's a lot of heat on this fight. I know T Wood's gonna maybe get up more for this fight than he did the other two fights, but still, I mean, if he doesn't put on a performance here, who who's gonna want to watch his fights? You know, I, I think that could be it for him. If he, if he comes in here and just gets dominated for five rounds again, I I think he needs to hang it up. I really do. I just think he's getting to the end of the line here where it's like no one's gonna pay to watch these fights where he just doesn't do anything. You know. Dean Thomas in the corner has to talk him up to throw hands. And that's what and got him to the, the dance. Thing, Park. You know, Tyron Woodley has some of the best wrestling credentials in the entire UFC. He's a all-American Division I wrestler. Colby Covington is a junior college wrestler. Like, I think Colby Covington is a very good wrestler and he's a very good grappler. But if you're Tyron Woodley and not only do you not throw hands with this guy who you say that you absolutely hate, you let him wrestle you and hold you down when you have the credentials that you have in the wrestling department, that's embarrassing. I would be embarrassed if I'm Tyron Woodley and I let Colby Covington come in, grab my waist, take me to the ground, and hold me there. Like, I, I, I completely agree with you. I'm completely on the same page as you. Like, I hope this is true. I hope Tyron Woodley's going to let those hands go and really take it to Covington because I don't think Colby has good striking defense at all. But if he gets wrestled and dominated on the mat by Colby Covington, I agree with you. Hang the gloves up. Leave him right there because you can leave your All-American singlet from Mizzou there too because you got embarrassed 
by a guy who does not have half the wrestling credentials that you have. I agree. I, I honestly think with T Wood, he's just one foot out the door and he's been like that for the last, since he lost his title. I really do. I, 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 he just had nothing to offer in those last two fights, and I really, I really do think you're going to see more of the same. Um, I expect Colby to just put the pace on him, and I think he's going to melt him. I really do. We'll we'll jump into it. Oh, well, maybe not next week. I'll be uh, slinging arrows at Elks, but uh, we'll talk. We'll try to talk about it and definitely recap it after it happens. But um, yeah, that's a big fight coming up in two weeks. So. Uh, all right, let's move on. Next, Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards just can't catch a break. Can't catch a break. Can't get anyone to fight him. Just left out in the cold. <laughs> so uh, I know Chell Sonnen was going off about some comments that Edwards made. What What are your thoughts of kind of the current state of Leon Edwards right now? I, I mean, I don't say this all that often because I kind of think Chael's a blowhard in, in a lot of respects, even though I really enjoy it. It's super entertaining. But – Chael's right here. Chael's right that Leon can't get anyone to care. I mean, you can sit there and say he can't catch a break. You can sit there and and feel bad for the guy for getting the Tyron Woodley fight taken away from him because of the pandemic. But at the end of the day, this is a sport where you make your own luck. This is a sport where you you have to go out there and everything gets taken from you in a moment. Everything gets given to you in a moment, too. You look at Jorge Masvidal. And I think Gilbert Burns just ate Leon Edwards' lunch. While Leon Edwards has been complaining about nobody wanting to fight him, been whining about not getting a title, been you know trying to get these guys to fight him, Gilbert Burns just went out there and friggin' did it, man. He just went out there. He fought every week. He fought every card. He fought short notice. He he finished guys. He was an exciting fighter. Gilbert Burns didn't go out there and do the Colby Covington thing and make it all about politics. He didn't you know try and be a Conor McGregor shit talker. You know, he just went out there and he fought and he earned it. And Leon Edwards got passed by because of it. So I, I don't think Leon Edwards is next in line for the title at all. I think he's going to have to fight like a Kiesa or a Wonder Boy to kind of get back in that title talk. And that's the reality is he just didn't take advantage of the position he was in after the RDA fight. And now he's kind of left out in the cold because of it. And like Chael said, he has not made himself interesting enough for people to care. Um, Masvidal and Nate have just been punking him about him getting punched backstage. And that's the reality, man. You got to earn it every second, every day in this sport. And he just has kind of let himself sit on the sidelines. I don't know. What do you think? I don't think I can add anything else to that. That was pretty well said there, Billy. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, this Thank sport's you, all about— It means this, so much yes, coming from yes. you. This sport's all about waves, and you got to ride the wave when you're hot. You can't sit on the sidelines. You're going to get passed by. That's Dar- Darwinism, if I can get scientific on you. Survival of the fittest, Billy. If you sit on the sidelines and don't fight, you're going to get passed by the hungry, hungry wolves like Gilbert Burns. You know, so it's like, I don't know. You you feel bad because he has got he has got a couple bad breaks. But the bottom line is, if you want to get that belt you want to be the best in the world you have to keep fighting until you are and that's what burns has done and that's what leon edwards hasn't so yeah that's where we're at billy but we stuck to an hour ish we did pretty good i think we're good man i think we did well here yeah well let's wrap it that is episode 47 holy shit we are coming up on 50 billy we're gonna have to have a celebration for our 50th 
50th episode. We're rocking and rolling. Um, I will be out next week, so I don't think we'll have an episode next week, but we'll be back the next week to recap uh, Colby versus Woodley. And then we're going to keep some interviews rolling. we got some stuff lined up, so we will keep bringing some interviews. Until then, everyone like, subscribe, do all that good stuff. Billy, any closing words? Hey, check out the Orion Koske interview, and I wrote a companion article over at MMA Prospects. Uh, Orion Koske is the, the Goku of MMA. Uh, he's the next up-and-coming guy. I think Parker and I both agree that one day we're going to be talking about this guy as a top 15 fighter, if not a 100%. title challenger. 100%. Um, so definitely check out that episode and you know enjoy you know three fight cards this weekend. Really exciting stuff. So check that out. And uh, you know that's all I have here, Park. Uh, I'm ready to get out of here, man. Have fun hunting the elk. I'm gonna go sling some arrows. All right. See y'all later, everyone. Adios. Texas Trees is the premier tree care company in the DFW area. Whether you need basic maintenance or specialized services, when it comes to trees, we've got you covered. Pruning, chipping, bracing, and cabling, even root barriers and disease control, we do it all. And if you aren't sure what you need, we have certified arborists on staff to point you in the right direction. Visit us at NorthTexasTrees.net. That's NorthTexasTrees.net. Thanks for listening to Parker's MMA Show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and visit ParkerKeensMMAShow.Podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes.